There are many thoughts in the meaning of that name on its own, never mind anything else about this man, Zechariah. But the meaning of the name is a reminder that the Lord not only knows His people, but that He will never forget them. He will never forget them. The Lord, or so Jehovah, has remembered. And it doesn't mean that the Lord ever had forgotten about Zechariah or anything to do with His servants in any part of the Bible or any individual or any group of people, because the Lord is unchangeable. He does not forget. And of course, that is something that distinguishes us from deity. We are forgetful. And of course, we're all aware of that. And it comes more and more the longer you live. But God never forgets. And it's impossible for God to forget. That's one of the things that we know characterizes Him and sets Him apart. But the Lord not only knows His people, He will never forget His people. And in relation to Zacharias's prophecy, one of the main emphases of this book shows that the Lord remembers His purposes on this earth, and He remembers what He has set out to do for His people or through His people in this fallen world. And that's really what the significance of the name Zechariah is in relation to this book of Zechariah. Jehovah has remembered. Jehovah had remembered uh, the time had come that He had appointed for all of these things that this book and Haggai and Ezra and Nehemiah all unfold to us, and even Malachi, that whole section of Old Testament history. Uh, the Lord had appointed it all and had arranged it all from all eternity, and now He's about to begin, well, He is in the process, put it that way, a better way to put it, He's in the process of causing it all to come to, part, uh, to, come to pass. And so, the Lord remembers His purposes for this earth. They're always present in His mind. He is the God who, whose uh, mind is marked by that which is ever-present, there's no past with God. There's no future with God. Everything is present to His mind. And so this is underlined in this book of Zechariah. Zechariah, that's something about his name, the meaning of it. But he was from a priestly family. He was from the tribe of Levi. He was therefore in that particular branch of the nation of Israel, the priestly tribe, the Levitical family of God's people. If you'll turn back to Nehemiah chapter 12 and the verse number 1, notice what it says in that verse. Nehemiah 12, verse number 1, it says, Now these are the priests and the Levites that went up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua. And so those words introduced chapter 12 to us, at least quite a section of chapter 12. And what you have from the rest of uh, verse 1, right on down through uh, to verse 21, verse 22. What you have here is a list of the priests and the Levites who came back from Babylon, Nehemiah 12, 1 onwards. And so that's the setting. Now look at verse number 16 of this passage, Nehemiah 12, 16. It says, of Ido. Then it says, Zechariah. So just take out those two words, or those three words really, of idol, then it mentions Zechariah. And so verse 1 tells you 
that these are all from the priestly and the Levitical family, all these uh, who come up with Zerubbabel in that section of the nation. And we find that Zechariah is mentioned here. This is the Zechariah who wrote the book. And so he's mentioned in that list of Levitical characters, priestly figures that came home from Babylon along with Zerubbabel. And so it says here, of, of Ido, Zechariah. Now the term there, of Ido, well that simply means that Zechariah belonged to that particular uh, branch of the Levitical family, characterized or identified by the name Ido. The phrase, therefore, of Ido is actually the Hebrew way of saying that Zechariah was descended from Ido. Ido was one of the more prominent priests to come back from Babylon, and in his family, Zechariah is found. Now, turn to Ezra chapter 5 and verse number 1, and there you will just see quickly the same line of thought. Ezra 5 verse 1, Then the prophets Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah the son of Ido. Zechariah the son of Ido. And so, once again, Zechariah is mentioned along with this man, Ido. But turn back now, please, uh, to Zechariah chapter 1. And maybe you saw this as we read, and I want just to point it out to you uh, because it's important just to get this clear and straight in our minds. Verse 1 again, uh, Zechariah 1 verse 1, and it refers here to Zechariah the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido. So what do you find? You find there's another man in between Ido and Zechariah. His name is Berechiah. And so there's no contradiction here whatsoever. Because in the Hebrew language and in the Old Testament, you will find this over and over again, the word son is used not only of an immediate son, like Abraham had a son called Isaac, but the word son is also used to signify descendancy. And so what we find here is that Zechariah actually was the immediate son of a man called Berechiah. And then farther back, well, not very far really when you bring the whole thing together, but a little farther back in the genealogy, there's this man called Ido. And so Ido was a, a chief priest. He was a, he was a prominent priest from the Levitical tribe. And he uh, was the ancestor, whatever the generations might be between Ido and Zechariah. We're not fully sure. But there, there was at least one in between. And that's this man, Berechiah. And so I want you to see that the, the word son has that significance. It doesn't only mean an immediate son, and that is seen at different times. It also signifies one who is a descendant, and there may be a number of generations in between the man who's the, called the son and those who come before him. And you might wonder, well, what's the point of all that? Well, it's just to help you, because if you looked at Ezra and Nehemiah, and you read about uh, this man called Zechariah in those places, and then you went to the first verse of his own book, and you find that he tells you that he's a son of Berechiah. You might start to wonder, well, how can this be? And so I thought that it was important just to explain that to you as we look at Zechariah. So we've looked at the meaning of his name, Jehovah remembers. And then we've looked here at the fact that he was descended from the priestly tribe 
And that's important for the purposes of this book, because a lot of that is very relevant to what he writes and what he, what he has to show us. He's from the priestly tribe, and he's a descendant of this man Idol, and his own immediate father, it seems, is this man Berechiah. He was a young man when he began to minister. Look at chapter 2 of Zechariah, verse number 4. It says, uh, and this is an angel uh, giving this command, and said unto him, Run, speak to this young man. And so there you have it. Zechariah was a young man. He stands in contrast in that sense with Haggai, because we learned in the two studies we did in Haggai that Haggai was an older man. He was a man at least in his 70s when he began to minister. But, to minister. but Zechariah is at the other end of the scale. He is a young man. And the point is that the two of these men served together. They labored in harmony in the Lord's work. You can think of other settings like that. Moses and Joshua. Paul and Timothy, and now Haggai and Zechariah, because the Lord does call young men. Sometimes in the case like Haggai, he appears on the page of Scripture when he's an older man, although, as I said in the study in Haggai, that doesn't mean that he hadn't ministered before. It just means that in that day, in that setting, when they've come back from Babylon, the work has stopped, there's a man who has seniority, there's a man who has served the Lord, this man Haggai, and he is able to go and preach and bring the Word of God to the Lord's people. But then there's also a young man, because you see, the older man won't be around forever. And that is why we need to keep praying that God will raise up young men for the ministry, for the mission field, for whatever. It is important to pray that way. And you have God, the Holy Spirit, specifically mention this Speak to this young man and inform him as it goes on to show you in that particular verse. So just note that. The Word of God is wonderful in its detail, and it really spells out things that we might just not pay much heed to in a cursory reading. And when we start to think about it, there's a lot that is said. Another thing about Zechariah is that he ended his ministry in martyrdom. And we learn that from Jesus Christ Himself. If you'll turn to Matthew 23, please, and look at verse number 35. You'll find it there. Matthew 23, verse 35. He's addressing the religious leaders of His own day. And it's interesting what He does here in Matthew 23 in terms of what He says to these Pharisees, these scribes, these religious leaders. Uh, just take verse 44, we'll start there. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues <clears throat> and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barachias, and you have the spelling here in this verse in the New Testament style of the name Zacharias. And that's simply because this is the translation of the Greek language, and this is how Zacharias is spelt basically in Greek with the A at the start, not an E, Z-A, 
and so on. But Zacharias, the son of Barakias, this actually verifies that Zacharias' father was Barakiah or Barakias. But anyhow, notice what it says about him here at the end of verse 35. Whom ye slew, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. That's a very significant little part of verse 35. We do learn here that Zacharias was martyred. He was slaughtered by religious leaders of that day in which he lived. And remember that the temple, as mentioned here, is the temple that was built in those days when Zerubbabel and those other men came back from Babylon. We've been looking at that in our study in Ezra. So you're familiar with that second temple. It's also in view in Haggai, it's in view in Zechariah. And it was in that temple that Zechariah was actually martyred for his stand for the Lord, whatever exactly the precise reason was that they slaughtered this man. He was slaughtered, and the Lord identifies the place between the temple and the altar. What that would mean is between, when it says between the temple, that's the holy, holy place. And then the altar is the altar of burnt offering that stood at the outside of the tabernacle itself or the temple itself out in the outer court. And in between those two spots, they slaughtered or they martyred Zacharias. And that's interesting because I believe that they would have killed him when he was actually serving the Lord. Memories from the priestly trade. And he would have gone into the temple to serve God at some particular point. And while he was serving the Lord in there, he was put to death. He lost his life. He was martyred, as I say, at that very place that is mentioned there that's identified by the Lord. It's interesting that the Lord actually says between the altar and the temple, or the temple and the altar, He marks out the spot where Zacharias was killed. And you know that the Lord was in that temple. Often He was in that temple. And I am sure, well, there's no doubt about this, because remember His name, Jehovah remembers. And Jehovah would have remembered and it's identified by Christ, that fact. My servant was killed in this temple. He was put to death by the religious leaders right in this temple. And that is really, really interesting when you think about it. You know, if you've ever had an interest in, say, the Covenanters or whoever, people like that, you may have gone to the places where they were martyred. You have maybe been in St. Andrews where... Uh, the young man was martyred and slaughtered just outside uh, the, the castle there. Uh, his name has just escaped me. I'm speaking here off the cuff, and his name has left me, but it was Cardinal Beaton who was in the castle, and it was this young preacher who was the forerunner of John Knox who was actually martyred. And I remember going there as a young fella and standing on the spot, and there's actually a marker there to signify where he was killed. Or I remember going out in Ayrshire, right across the moors, to the very spot where John Brown was martyred by the troops of the king in those killing times. And these are sacred places in terms of their memory and what happened there. And here is a biblical uh, parallel. The Lord identifies the very spot as if He's saying, I don't want you to forget about this. This man was killed at this spot for my sake and for 
the reason that he believed in me and he spoke of me and he prophesied of me. And so, isn't it interesting how much there is in the Bible in terms of little details like these? There's something attached to this I want you to see if you'll turn to Second Chronicles 24 and verse number 20. Second Chronicles 24 and verse number 20. And we read this. And the Spirit of the Lord, sorry, the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah. Second Chronicles 24, verse 20. And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, which stood above the people and said unto them, Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord that ye cannot prosper? Because ye have forsaken the Lord, he hath, for, he hath also forsaken you. And they conspired against him and stoned him with stones at the commandment of the king in the court of the house of the Lord. So here is Zacharias again, or Zechariah, and he is killed in the house of God. But he's not the same Zechariah as the one we're looking at in the book of Zechariah. This is actually long before uh, the day of, of that other Zechariah, or well, sometime before the day of that other Zechariah. And so here are two men, the very same names, or names, Zechariah, and both of them were prophets, and both of them served in the house of God, and both of them were martyred in the house of God. And so just notice that. And what you find, therefore, is that this other Zechariah in 2 Chronicles 24, he was also from the priestly line because it says he's the son of Jehoiada the priest. He's from the priestly line. He was martyred in the house of God under similar circumstances. And what we learn from that is that the hatred of the enemies of God for his faithful servants, it never abates. It continues down through the generations. It wasn't enough to kill the first Zacharias. They must kill this Zacharias here in the book that we're looking at and as the Lord Jesus Christ testifies in Matthew 23. So another detail that is important that's surrounded with many other little facts that I believe are helpful and should be a blessing to our hearts because those men who died so long ago at the hands of evil, corrupt religious leaders, are men who stood up for God, who served God, and who, as a result, they lost their lives uh, in that sense of things, but all for the sake of the succeeding generations and for the good of the work of God in time to come. Another detail about this man is the timing, the date and the timing of his actual ministry You'll turn back now to Zechariah, the book itself, and you'll find something of the dating in the very first verse of the book. He dates his prophecy, as Haggai did, with reference to the reign of Darius. Chapter 1, verse 1 here says, in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius. And if you think back to Haggai, you'll remember, I trust, that Darius is mentioned, the second year is mentioned, and the various months, the sixth month, the seventh month and the ninth month. And so, in that very same time bracket, Zechariah, he ministered. He ministered in the eighth month of the second year of Darius. That was 520 B.C. And what you find here is that this date in chapter 1, verse 1, covers 
the first section of this book. So if you just leaf over your pages here, and you've got chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, that is one complete section of the book of Zechariah. Under that date, the eighth month, the second year of Darius. Because when you come to chapter 7, verse 1, you've got another date. So look at chapter 7, verse 1. It came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month. Even in Kislu, that's the name of the ninth month, Kislu. And so uh, we find that the first six chapters contain a series of visions. I'll be looking at that another time, but that's what you have in the first six chapters, a series of visions that all were delivered from the first day, from the, in the eighth month of the second year of Darius, and onwards those, uh, those visions that are found in the first six chapters were delivered. And then you come to a point two years later, or there just about, uh, in chapter 7, verse number 1, we read there of the fourth year of Darius and the ninth month. And that means we're now in 518 B.C. So uh, the book begins in 520 B.C. and then it keeps on working down because remember that you're living before Christ and that's the way it goes. So 520 and then 518. We've reached 518 in chapter 7 and verse number 1. Then turn to chapter 9 and verse number 1. And notice what we read here. It says, The burden of the word of the Lord in the land of Hadrach and Damascus shall be the rest thereof, and so on. And so there's an expression I want you just to note, the burden of the word of the Lord. Because what you find is, we're going to look at this a little more, in these earlier chapters, if you just quickly go back, and I'm sorry for making you leaf to and fro, but I want you to see this. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 1 again, notice this phrase. After the date's given, the eighth month, the second year of Darius, then it says, came the word of the Lord unto Zacharias. You find the same thing in chapter 7, verse 1. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah. But then when you come to chapter 9, the terminology changes, and it says, the burden, of the, word, sorry, the burden of the word of the Lord in the land of Hadrach. This is a fresh message coming to Zechariah, but the terminology changes now. Uh, it doesn't mean there's anything different in the sense of the essence of it. Not at all. It's still the Word of God, but the, the, the language changes. And what we find is no date is mentioned in this case. So, Chapters 1 to 6, that's one set of visions. Chapters 7 and 8, another set of visions and, and a revelation from God. And then from chapter 9 through to chapter 14, we have the third section of the book, identified by that expression, the burden of the Word of the Lord. And that, in other words, the word burden signifies something that was placed on Zacharias's heart to deliver to the people. It was a message from God. It was weighty. It was powerful. It's described as the burden of the Word of the Lord. It doesn't mean a burden in the sense that he was grieved with it or that uh, he uh, chafed under it. It simply means something weighty has now been laid upon Zacharias' soul to deliver to the people. 
And conservative scholars, I put it that way because uh, men of God have looked at all of this and they believe that when you come to chapter 9 through to chapter 14, you're looking at a period then of 10 years, from 480 B.C. to 470 B.C. And they worked it out from various details. I'm not getting into all that technicality. I'm just giving you uh, what men of God have said in their commentaries and so on. But what we learn from all this is that Zechariah started as a young man in 520 B.C. And he kept on ministering right on through, uh, assuming that these men are right. I mean, put it that way, these commentators on, these, on this book. He kept on ministering right to 470 B.C., which means he ministered for 50 years. 50 years of faithful ministry, and then he was slaughtered by the enemies of God and by religious leaders. And so, those are details about Zechariah himself, his name, when he lived, when he ministered, how he died, that I trust you will find are important in your mind. And, and they're all in here because God has seen fit to record these details so that you and I might learn much about this man and, and draw lessons from all of that information and, and maybe have our own hearts spoken to concerning the things of God and our own ministry, our own service for Jesus Christ. So that is, uh, th those are the details about the man himself. But then what's the message of this book of Zechariah? Well, we know that from Haggai, that while the years of captivity ended in Babylon, a very difficult period then came for those who had returned from Babylon. And you know what that was all about. Uh, they came back and they got things started in terms of building the altar, and then they started and they laid the foundation of the temple, and then the work ceased because the enemies of God rose up and they resisted what was being done. But along with that, God's people themselves became very careless and indifferent. And so the work stopped for various reasons. So what happened was uh, their hopes faded and discouragement came in and then apathy and carelessness arose among them and the work came to a halt. Well, as we saw from Haggai, the work must resume. It must be revived. And that's why revival is such a major theme in all of these books. It must, uh, God must work. God must stir up His people. God must visit these saints and cause them to get back to work. And the reason was that that temple that I've been mentioning already today, and we've looked at a lot in our studies in recent times, is the temple that was going to stand there or be in place when the Savior would come. Because you see, all of, that, all of what is going on here is in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. And therefore, the temple must be rebuilt because God had said that in that temple there will be greater glory than ever has been seen before, uh, namely in Solomon's temple. And so that's Jesus Christ. So that in Haggai chapter 2, the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. That means the temple must be built. And it all has to do with Christ. And that means that God raised up these two prophets to motivate the people to work so that the temple was completed in the year 516 B.C. So, that's the background. Now, 
The focus, therefore, in all of this is on God's covenant promises concerning the physical and the spiritual dimensions of His work. God was showing through Zechariah, as well as Haggai before him, or really alongside him, they were contemporaries, at least for some time, God was showing that He was in charge. And that's a vital lesson to learn. And that comes out in the book of Zechariah in an interesting way. Did you notice when we read this morning in Zechariah chapter 1, how many times in a few of these verses you have the title, the Lord of hosts. Well, it's there. And if you go through the book of Zechariah, you will find that around 50 times in the book of Zechariah, we have that name used of God, the Lord of hosts. What does it mean? What does it signify? Well, it signifies something like this. It signifies that the Lord, that God is the commander-in-chief. That's really the sense of that title, the Lord of hosts. It's found a lot in the rest of the Old Testament and even referred to in the New Testament. But remember, it stands out in Zechariah. It's used around 50 times in this book. It means that, that the one who's called the Lord of hosts, the commander-in-chief, as I say, for that's the sense of the title, he's the one who has all authority, has all power over all creation so that he will fulfill his purpose without fail. The name indicates, brethren and sisters, that every promise that he has made will come to pass. And therefore, in the multiplied use of this name in the book of Zechariah, the Lord was encouraging his people to pursue his work. He says, it is I who am the Lord of hosts who am speaking to you. I'm in charge. I'm the commander. I rule over all creation. I rule over all men. I rule over the likes of Darius and Cyrus before him and, and those who came after these men. I'm in charge here, and my work must be done. Therefore, they are moved, they are encouraged to get to the work of God as they hear this wonderful name being repeatedly used uh, from the ministry of this man, Zechariah. And so Zechariah uses a name that's a reminder to Israel in those days that since God is in charge, what He wants from us is to have our minds focused on Jesus Christ and do His will. You say to me back, perhaps, remember you think this way, well, why do you say that? And the answer is this, because Zechariah specifically and explicitly he focuses on the promised Messiah. His prophecy is one of the most messianic books in all of the Old Testament. He especially presents the Messiah as the prophet and the priest and the king of his people. And we can see this as we study our way through the book of Zechariah. And so just remember that. God is saying to Israel, I am the Lord of hosts. I'm in charge, and I want everything to be in place for the coming of the Messiah. All to be arranged, all to be set in order, that when He comes, all is ready for Him to do His work. You know, we read of John the Baptist as the forerunner of Christ, and that's true the immediate forerunner of Christ. But do you not see from what I'm saying today that there were many forerunners? 
Indeed, all the prophets were forerunners of the Lord Jesus Christ. From Abel right down, as we saw the Lord speak in Matthew 23 about Abel right through to Zacharias. We're looking at men who were all forerunners of the Lord, never mind John the Baptist. And the book of Zechariah is a marvelous presentation of this fact that he is involved in the great work of preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah himself. Now, just go back to chapter 1, verse 1, and notice what you find in that verse. It says, On the eighth month in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord unto Zacharias, the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido, the prophet, saying. Notice the phrase, the word of the Lord. And notice what it actually uh, says here. The word of the Lord came to Zacharias. Then look at the end of verse 1. And you've got the verb saying. So notice this. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying something. And what you actually have here is essentially a title of Jesus Christ. He's referred to here, and we've seen this before, he's referred to here as the Word of the Lord. Now, remember what I said there a moment or two ago. The book of Zechariah is very messianic in its message and especially presenting Jesus Christ as the prophet, the priest, and the king. And we're going to see that by the help of the Lord as we look further at the book of Zechariah. But in the very first verse of the book, we find a reference to Christ in language that indicates that He is the prophet of Jehovah. Because we're told here that one who is uh, denominated as the Word of the Lord actually comes to Zechariah and says something to him. You see, sometimes, sometimes I know this, when you take the expression the Word of the Lord or something like that, it's a, a basic reference to Scripture. But then you see, Jesus Christ is the Word of the Lord because all revelation is delivered through Him, because He alone is the prophet of Jehovah in the ultimate sense, in the highest sense. And therefore, it's one of the Lord's names. And I want you to get a hold of that. Zechariah is visited by Christ. That's what chapter 1, verse 1 shows you. And he comes to Zechariah as the word of the Lord, which signifies that he is the prophet of God. And you see, God had spoken in various ways about Christ as prophet. I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and look with me in that chapter at two verses. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. And it says this, and this is Moses actually speaking to Israel in Deuteronomy before Moses died and so on. It's the very last part of his life, really. But Deuteronomy 18, 15, it says this, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet. And notice in our authorized version how the word prophet begins with a capital P. Because this is a special prophet. This is Christ, actually. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, or thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. Then verse 18 
I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And so God gave promise here of a future prophet whom he would raise up. And that is why the Spirit of God moved Moses to use a capital P. That's how it's translated for us in our English version. But it reflects the Hebrew original. This is a special prophet. This is none other than Jesus Christ, who is the Word of the Lord. And here's the very name, title, prophet, given to our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to look at John 1, 21, and that's fine. But in that verse, John 1, 21, a question was put to John the Baptist. A very interesting question. And the question is this. Art thou that prophet? John 1, 21. What does that mean? The Jews asked that question of John the Baptist. Art thou that prophet? And the reason why they asked that question was because they were expecting a special prophet to come. Even though they were unbelieving in the sense that when the Lord did arrive, they wouldn't accept Him. But they knew that God had said that a special prophet was going to come someday. And so here's this man called John the Baptist, and he's a mighty man of God. And evidently, he has got the power of God upon him. And the Jews, they're wondering, who is this man, John the Baptist? And so they asked this question, art thou that prophet? They don't say, are you a prophet? They said, art thou that prophet? And they're actually referring back to Deuteronomy 18 when they asked that question, because I said they know that there's a special prophet who's going to arrive on the scene of time. And little do they know that it's not John the Baptist, but it's the person of whom John has already said much and whom he will point to shortly when he will say farther down this chapter, John 1, as you read, Behold the Lamb of God. And so the prophet had arrived, you see, on the stage of time at that point, but Moses had spoken of him, and he had specifically called him the prophet, with a capital P, just to make it emphatic. And so this was promised by God. And so I want you to go back now a little farther in your Bibles to Genesis 15, and here's the first time in the Bible that you have the phrase, the Word of the Lord. So Genesis 15, and this is a very, very important reference. After these things, the Word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, it is very, very much the same kind of language as Zechariah 1 verse 1, well, we have just read a few minutes ago that the word of the Lord came to Zacharias saying, and here's the first instance in the, New, the Old Testament where you have the name, the title, the word of the Lord, and you find the same verb used. It says, the word of the Lord came unto Abram, it's in a vision, saying, and do you notice what happens? Verse 2. Look at Abram's response. And Abram said, Lord God, 
what wilt thou give me? You see, at the end of verse 1, we go on to read, Fear not, Abram. This is what the word of the Lord said to him in that vision. Fear not, Abram, I am thy seed. Notice that. This bears out that this is a person. The word of the Lord comes to him. He appears to him in a vision. It's a, what you call a Christophany, as well as Zechariah had in Zechariah 1 verse 1. It's a Christophany, an appearance of Christ. And he says, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. You see, in chapter 14, Abram has refused the riches of the king of Sodom. He has turned it down. He doesn't want the money belonging to that pagan king. And then Christ appears. He says, Abram, don't you be afraid. I'm with you. And he says, I'm your shield. I'll protect you. I'm your exceeding great reward. I'll provide for you. And what does Abram say right away? Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And what he was really focusing on there is, Lord, you promised me that in my seed would all the nations of the earth be blessed, and I have no son. And what he's really saying is, Lord, I want a son. And I haven't time to go any further. That's what Abram's saying. But for our purposes today, go back to verse 2 of Genesis 15 and notice this. And Abram said, Lord God. What do we find? He calls the person who has appeared to him during the night in a vision and came to him as the word of the Lord. He calls that person the Lord God. Because Jesus Christ has always been God. And when he appeared to Abram way back, all those thousands of years ago, he appeared to him, yes, as the Word of Jehovah. But that's what it means. After these things, the Word of Jehovah came to Abram, and Abram calls him the Lord God. And so you bring it all together, and what we're finding, therefore, is that the person who appears to Abram, the same person as who appeared to Zechariah, who's called the Lord God, or sorry, who's called the Word of the Lord, is actually the Lord God. And therefore, down through time, this kept happening. And I want you to do something uh, which I believe will be helpful to you. As you read through your Bible, you know, you should always mark your Bible. You get a new Bible and you don't like to mark it. It's nice and fresh and clean and and so on, and you don't like to put marks on it. Do put marks on your Bible. Now, put them on as neatly as you can, and use colored pens. I'm just giving you a wee bit of practical instruction here, because you might wonder, where did I see that? Because, we're, as I said earlier, we're all very forgetful. And maybe you can't just recollect, where did I see that? But if you use a color code in your Bible, you'll be able to find it. But what I'm saying is, it is good to see these things and understand that the whole way through the Old Testament, you keep finding this title, the Word of the Lord, the Word of the Lord. And yes, sometimes it simply refers to the, the actual words that were spoken, but very, very, very often, and the context identifies it, it refers to the person of Jesus Christ.
He is the Word of the Lord. And so Zechariah chapter 1 verse 1 follows suit from what I've shown you from uh, Genesis. The Word of the Lord appears to Zechariah. He's there in his prophetic office because he is the Word of the Lord, and he speaks to Zechariah, and he gives him a certain message, and that message goes on the whole way through this book, section by section. We will leave it there today, but I trust this will help you as an introduction to Zechariah, shows you something of this man and his ministry and the vital importance of it, and may God use His Word for His own glory in all of our hearts as we have looked at it today, and may these thoughts be a blessing to your soul. So we'll bow in prayer. Let's just come to the Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come to Thee, and we bow down in Thy presence. We thank Thee for being near to us during this time of Bible study, and we bless Thee, O Lord, for the the one who is called the Word of the Lord, the great prophet who was promised. And we rejoice, O Lord, that he is our prophet and our priest and our king. And we thank Thee that Zechariah makes this absolutely clear. And we pray, Lord, that Thou wilt help us to always read the Scripture looking for Christ, focusing on Him as He is revealed to us by the Word of God. So be with us now and bless the morning time of prayer and then on on into the morning service. And may Your hand be upon Thy servant and upon all of us as we gather together Speak unto our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.